welcome to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Hooligan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, including some that ran only one episode. For this month, our penultimate month, we have begun requests. With me, as always, is Noah Houlihan. Don't worry about a thing, you'll learn to live again. Learn to live again. On the bright side, I'm pretty sure we won't get a copy strike on that. We might. Cause it, was, it was pretty identical. It was so good. We might get smooth McGrooved. Okay, so uh, stay tuned. Listener Danny has requested uh, that we do Life Sentence, the uh, 2018 CW not hit. Not no, because it's on this show. Yep. In which the girl from Pretty Little Liars has cancer. Yep. Well, she has cancer for a grand total of five minutes. And multiple flashbacks, but yeah. Yes. So... Yeah, let's let's go through the the main premise, I guess. The main premise is that uh, Stella Abbott has uh, at fifteen years old is diagnosed with cancer, and she yes. goes through treatment and she is terminal. Yes. So she chooses to stop treatment and go live her life as best she can, as much as she can. Right. And that includes running off to Paris, getting married. Mm -hmm. uh, Skydiving. Yeah, living for the day. And then she finds out that the experimental treatment she had tried sent her cancer into remission. Yes. Or actually, not remission. She's cured. She is cured. They, They wanted to say, like, she is cured. And suddenly, all of the things that her family has been hiding from her are suddenly brought to terrifying light and she suddenly can no longer live for only the day because now there is a tomorrow yes so i want to start with this question what did you think this show was when we started i figured it was a it was gonna be a melodrama i figured it was going to be it's a cw show i went in knowing it was a cw show with lucy hale so i figured like Melodrama, maybe not quite as weird as Riverdale. Okay. But, like, very dramatic. I was expecting full-on sitcom. Yeah. I was expecting these to be, like, high school sweethearts. Okay. And this dude was going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll marry her. I mean, she's great. And then it became like, oh, we're going to be married forever now. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, I did believe that the... uh that Wes, the man Stella marries, I would have believed that he had been in her life before. Yes, and based on the description you actually gave on the, our previous podcast, thought he was the main character. I did. I kind of thought it was about him more than her, but I stand corrected. I would say the show has more of a deuterogonist system because I think uh, Wes and Stella are both main characters. I-, I would say that this is actually an ensemble piece. Yes, I would, you know, I would agree with that because I think Aiden and her parents are as much leads as anyone. So how do you want to go into this? 
I think now that we've discussed the basic plot line, I think we've got to go through character arc by character arc. We're going to do this the way we did Cop Rock. Okay. All right. Because this is one of those shows, it's a CW show, which means there's a lot of plots that get picked up for one episode and then drop forever. Yes. So I think if we go character arc by character arc, that's going to be a little... And I'm going to do my best throughout this review here to mention any characters that show up for only one or two episodes. Because the less you see of a character, the better they are. I'm inclined to agree. There's a lot of characters who are really great who you don't see very much of. Yes, and I will point them out as we come across them. Uh, for instance, moviegoer in one episode, whose entire movie moviegoer was good. He stood out. Yeah, and we're we sound like we're being snarky, but really, all he does is tell Stella to shut up, and you really love him for that. Yes. So I guess let's get into it. Let's talk about all these wacky characters. Who do you want to start with here? I I want to start with um, I want to start with Elizabeth and Diego. Okay, so Liz is. Uh, or, like we said before, Stella is the girl who survived cancer. Yeah, Lizzie is her eldest sibling. Yes. And uh, one of the reasons I want to talk about Lizzie first is because Lizzie highlights a huge problem with the show by her very existence. Are you talking about math? I am talking about math. So Lizzie drops the bomb on her sister in the first episode that Lizzie's always wanted to be a writer. Right. And Lizzie has turned down a Columbia scholarship. Right. Later, so that would put Lizzie, if she's turning down a scholarship, that would put her at, let's say, 18, high school senior. Right. In the position to be turning down a scholarship. We've already established that Stella is diagnosed at 15. Yes. Which means she can only be three or four years older than Stella, even if, like, Stella was 14 and she was 18 and a half. She has to be around 18 when this happens, which makes her 26 when the show starts. Right. Aiden is mentioned as being 27 in a later episode. And Lizzie is mentioned as being an oops baby and her parents first born. Yes. In the last episode. So this is already like when you're trying to contextualize these characters and like... We also see that like Aiden is in college struggling with... Uh, yes. Aiden is in college at one point struggling with Stella because we see a lot of flashbacks to when Stella does have cancer. Yes. Aiden is the older brother. Yes. He's supposedly the middle sibling, except for that one line where uh, math doesn't work Lizzie's out. New, they, they also have this problem with the high school diploma where they have a high school diploma for Stella that's dated incorrectly. Yes. It's dated in 2011. Which would have been when she was diagnosed. And there's no planet in which I believe that even Stella would think that she was graduating high school as what would be usually a freshman. Yeah, freshman or sophomore, maybe. Yeah, like I was a sophomore at 15, but I was always the youngest person in my class. Right. So she would have been a freshman when she was diagnosed. And that's when it was dated. So it's like, it it kind of, to me, really does annihilate some of the... uh, Plot because I, I got caught up being like, wait a minute, I'm confused. Yeah. So, Lizzie. I give up a scholarship to Columbia to stay here and help take care of you. 
the scholarship was to Columbia, and the show takes place in Oregon. Yes. So Lizzie was unwilling to move across the country. Yeah, because she wanted to help her baby sister go through cal- or go through uh, chemo. Yes. Uh, and so Stella makes it her mission to help her poor sister achieve her dream. So she sends her to, like, writing camp. Uh, Stella doesn't send her to writing camp. She helps Lizzie get into writing camp. But, like, how that happens is very vague. Yeah, the second episode, Lizzie's in a writing retreat. But, like, I have no idea what this, like, broke 23-year-old did to get her sister to do this. I don't think she did anything, to be honest with you. I think it was, since she is no longer sick... Lizzie can then go to a writer's retreat. Oh, she takes credit for it, though. Of course she does. Because the whole point is Stella is writing the wrongs that her cancer caused. Yes. And that is, the like, one of the first ones. And when her sister's gone, I was just immediately like, what could you have possibly done? How are you possibly taking credit for this? Right. Uh, another important thing with Lizzie, because I'm going to tackle her whole family together. Lizzie is married to Diego. Yes. Diego, hands down, best character in the series. Yes. A a common thing I scream at the television is, will someone please help Diego? Uh, in this series, Diego is a normal guy. Yes. Um, he is a good husband and a good father. Yes. And to the twins that she said she had very young to give her parents something positive to focus on. Which is a weird thing to me. Right. Because in my mind, uh, why, if you're so worried about having your sibling who has terminal cancer, why would you have kids unnecessarily young so that everyone's... Yeah, on top of that, they talk about how they did, like, all this stuff to make sure that she was fertile. That's why she ended up having twins. So this wasn't an accident. Well, they went through fertility stuff, which... Kind of implies that they, like, went through some stuff to get her pregnant. Like, right. Like, through medical stuff. Which Lizzie has established as having kid, had kids, quote, way too young. So it's, this, again, this very weird, like, Riverdalian. Because it's the CW and I'm going to shit on Riverdale. Okay. Um, They wanted to use a line or a plot point, And they don't know how old their characters are. And they don't have that, like solid bio for each character. Right. Like, did Lizzie have kids too young, or did Lizzie go through some stuff to have kids? Because, like, I I think most people would have tried for a while before having to resort to fertility treatments, which are expensive. Mm-hmm. And we've established this family doesn't have a lot of money. Right. So it, it's a weird plot hole. Yeah. So we put... I would estimate Lizzie... Is supposed to come off as being in her early 30s. Right. Maybe late, late 20s. Like, maybe she tops out at 30. That makes about sense, yeah. So she would have had kids at 24, which is pretty young by 2019 standards. Mm-hmm. But not crazy young. Uh, so she's trying to find her footing as a writer. Right. Uh, she wants to, you know, she wants to become a children's book writer. And she writes a picture book. Yeah. Did you notice that? She writes like a basic easy reader chapter book. She goes to a writer's retreat to essentially write 
the thing you give your kid at the dentist's office to make them shut up. I guess that's a way to look at it. But, like, those kinds of books are, like, four sentences a page. Yeah. But you sell them for $14. Yeah, I just... I, I felt like it was a weird choice. And it was... She wanted to be a writer, but they kind of kill that in service of Ida's plotline later. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of certain people's plotlines being killed off to service other people's plotlines. Um, another reason we're talking about each individual character, and there's going to be a lot of uh, overlap, because this family is insanely codependent. Yes. Yes. So I, th- I think that's as much as we can really establish about these two without going into other characters. Um... Diego has a, um, Diego's just a good guy trying to get by. Like, he's on the kickball team. That's, a lot of the times if we see a couple of male characters, it's Wes and Diego on the kickball team. Right. And that's really, like, Diego is Wes's best friend. Yes. Essentially by default. Yes. So, that's, um, that's Lizzie and Diego. And Fiona and Frank, who are not even very important, they're... TV show kids. Yeah, I didn't even know their names. I knew Fiona because they mentioned Fiona more by name. Yeah. And, like, we get a few subplots with these people where it's like they're considering leaving back one of the twins. And there's a fight and then it's over. Uh, There's uh, one of the the twins is getting picked on. So they want to have a meeting at the school and the other parents don't want to have a meeting. Nothing ever high stakes, really. No. They're the grounded in reality pair. Yes. So I think next, what do you think about doing Peter and Ida? Yeah. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Stella's parents. Uh, yes. We, so we have Peter, who is a history professor. Yes. And you might remember him from Nip Tuck. And Ida, who is, I believe, a homemaker. We don't really establish a job for Yeah, her. there wasn't really an occupation but you can also assume that she has spent the last eight years taking care of Stella. Yes. So uh, she probably wasn't out working much. No. So you can kind of say that she was uh, very much at home for the last yes. eight years. Uh, so it turns out that Peter, being the breadwinner, spent their life savings to make Stella's life as good as possible while she was still alive. Yes. Including this trip to Paris on which she meets... Wes, whom she later marries. Mm-hmm. So when uh, when she's cured, Peter and Ida immediately break up. Yes. First episode. Mom just left him. Do you want a waffle? Yeah. So they break up immediately. And Ida goes off to... She goes off to live with her best friend turned uh, romantic interest, Poppy... Who is, like, Stella's godmother. So she's a longtime family friend. Yes. So, basically, Stella finds out she doesn't have cancer, and then immediately, her mom leaves her dad for a woman. Yes. And what she... What Stella needs to understand here is that, like, there's been problems forever. Yes. But because they needed to keep a happy environment Mm -hmm. for Stella... She was kept in the dark about all of this. Yeah, the first five minutes are a fairly good montage about the way Stella sees her life. And it's very candy-colored, it's very cute, 
it's all these, like, you know, very quirky Zooey Deschanel movie moments of, like, her and Aiden skateboarding and Mm -hmm. her clubbing underage with her sister. And, like, all these candy-colored moments, and then that's immediately yanked away. Yes. So the way that they yank that away with the parents is they break up immediately. Yes. And it's, it's important to note that the father doesn't want to break up. No, he is left. Yes. He is distinctly left. And he has to sell the house. Cancer is expensive. We may have to sell the house. Yes, because they are very in debt now. Yes. Ida is desperate to sell the house and Peter wants to hold on to it. Yes. And in this fight, Ida takes a sledgehammer and destroys one of the walls. Yes. And Peter's response to this is, Dad, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm kind of getting turned on. And this, to me, is one of the biggest problems with this show. Mm-hmm. And you you could make the argument of just like, oh, he loves her still, so he's, it's fine or whatever. But if anyone comes into my home and breaks a wall, I'm getting them arrested. Yeah. <laughs> and two... Everyone in this show is too quippy. Yeah. Everyone is the same type of humor. Because it made me think about Avengers. Okay. In Avengers, every single one of the Avengers is funny. You have Iron Man, who does like quips. Yeah. And then you have Captain America, who's funny because he's ignorant. Yeah. He doesn't understand everything. And then you have Thor who is full of himself. Yeah. So everything he says is not meant to be funny to him. It's funny to us. But it's funny to us because he's a god and he sees himself as so above all these people. Right. Their way of being funny is different. Yeah. In this show, everyone is so fast on quips, but is like unaware they're telling jokes. Okay. There are so many moments where I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? Yeah. Because the way they're reacting is a funny joke, but they're acting like they don't realize it. And that is the most frustrating thing about this show. I get that, yeah. It's definitely... It's written in a way that everyone is that same kind of lazy, millennial, snarky funny. Yeah. Which works for Aiden and works for Stella, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Yeah. The fact that everyone has basically the same speaking pattern is just super frustrating. It's lazy writing. Yeah. We also have this issue of Poppy, who is supposedly a lifelong friend of the Abbots. Poppy disappears in, like, episode three. Well, they break up off camera. Yeah. So she's immediately gone. Mm-hmm. to force a situation where Peter starts briefly seeing a woman that Aiden has slept with in the past, and then Peter and Ida start to pursue the same woman. Yeah. The amount of wiener, wiener cousins, incestual wiener cousins, that end up in this show is uh pretty high. Yeah, it's a bit much. So they're briefly pursuing the same woman who is straight and chooses Peter. Yes. And then there's kind of this weird moment where Ida wants to go back to school. She wants to be an illustrator. 
Yes. This is where Lizzie's story dies at the altar of Ida's story. Right. Uh, Ida wants to be an illustrator, which is why Lizzie's suddenly writing children's books. So, and Lizzie and Ida bite, uh, butt heads over it. There's this moment where, like, Ida keeps trying to change Lizzie's story to suit what she wants to draw. And then Peter agrees not to sign the divorce papers so that Ida can take advantage of being a dependent and get the benefits of free college tuition from Peter. Right. Which is never mentioned when Stella mentions wanting to go to college. Yeah. Even though dependent child is considerably more likely than spouse to receive those kinds of benefits. Yes. We'll see this issue again when we talk about Aiden's storyline, too. Yes. Um, is there anything else before the last episode that we, that we want to talk about with Peter and Ida? Well... The, we tell this tale, and the the path that we go with these these two two characters is, Ida's seeing a woman. Yes. Peter can't handle it. Right. So Peter wants to get Ida back, and then finally Peter kind of starts to break out on his own. He starts dating and the starts woman. starts dating, and then uh, Ida kind of starts to fall apart, and kind of goes back towards Peter, and then they end up seeing the same woman. And then that kind of falls apart. And there's a moment in the middle where in a moment of Ida's weakness, they kiss again. Yes. And this is episode maybe five, six of the show where they finally kiss. And I yelled at the screen, you can't make me cheer for this relationship. Yeah. There's no way I want these two to get back together. Because they have suffered Eight years together of misery. Yeah. For me, for you to just be like, but then they're going to be fine. This is all pointless. Right. Like, the show is pointless if they get back together. Okay. Uh, the other situation that I think we need to address is they also uh, sleep together in episode, I want to say episode 10. Yes. Uh, they sleep together and then... Peter promptly has a heart attack. Yes. And he's still seeing Gina. She fucks his brains out and he has a heart attack. Yes. Um, That's not what happened, guys. It's, it's it's like days later he has this heart attack. Yeah, so he has a... She, um, it's the next day. Oh, okay. He has a heart attack. So she blames herself. Right. Uh, everybody blames themselves for his heart attack. Because uh, everybody feels they've been putting a lot of strain on Peter. His reaction to having a heart attack was, this is my second chance. Dumps Gina, a woman who has done nothing but be good to him. And understand how he prioritizes his codependent family over her constantly. Yeah. And then he reproposes to Ida. Now, before we go into that. Mm Mm-hmm. There is one line I have to discuss with you. That okay. I'm not even sure you caught. Okay. They are at a bar together. Yes. And they're talking and she's talking about how great it is to be bi. Yep. And all this other stuff. And he says, you really missed out on being bi in college by dating me. And she says, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Is she saying, I didn't miss out on anything because I was with you, or I cheated on you with multiple women? 
I mean, unless they were together for all of college. Again, this is the writers kind of not making sense of their own plot for a storyline. Like, again, because I, I, you know, I've worked in academia, so I'm thinking about, like, you know, Peter had to get a PhD. Like, somewhere along the way, like, they had to struggle hard to have, and for them to get together in college, that means Ida had to put up with him through a PhD, possibly a master's program. And when did they have a kid? Uh, the oops baby? Yeah. Uh, I forget. It was definitely a mistake. Because, like, he's 50 and people who are very, very young in academia get jobs at 30. Yeah. Like, the youngest I've seen an academic get a job is, like, 27, 28. And that's somebody who, like, powered through and got a job right away. So that means, like, there were some struggle years. Yeah, there had to have been. So it's very interesting to have this, like, that they've struggled almost their entire relationship. Right. Like, you get the idea that there was maybe 15 good years, and it was the 15 years between when Stella was born and when Stella was diagnosed. Okay. And so then he, like, tries to repropose to her. Wait, you didn't answer my question. Did you cheat on him with multiple women in college? I kind of think she is saying, like, oh, I didn't miss out because she was, like, one, she's living her best life now. So she doesn't feel like she's missing out. Two, uh, she, throughout the series, kind of throws him a bone. Okay, literally. Verbally. Well, no, I mean, she doesn't, we we don't see what they do. Um, But what I'm saying is, like, she, usually, outside of the first two or three episodes, she's not usually unkind to him. Okay. Which is also weird, because you've got to figure this relationship just imploded. The whole series, the whole 13-episode series, seems to take place over maybe three months. Yeah. Tops. The, the, the reason I'm pushing so hard about this quote is because it, it's showing the problem with the show. Like, because that's why I'm curious your interpretation of that line. Mm-hmm. Because if she is saying, I cheated on you with multiple women, she is breaking up the entire, like, gentle moment they were having together by saying, like, oh, no, 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 I cheated on you. I think she's saying it as, no, I didn't miss out. Yeah, but in saying that, this whole breakup is pointless. She's not leaving Peter because she felt like she was missing out. She's leaving Peter because he lied to her about money. Okay, I guess that's true. Yeah, like, she never leaves Peter because, like, she's, she says she's bi. She never goes to, like, well, I'm a lesbian now. Right. She leaves Peter because he lied to her about their financial situation constantly to finance Stella's lifestyle. So, the trust is broken in their relationship. And so I think she's not, outside of the first two or three episodes when they first break up, She's not that unkind to him. Right. So I I think it was a, no, I didn't miss out. Like, they're both a little drunk at the bar. I think they, like, are they at the bar opening? Yes. They sleep together two hours later. So I think that's the beginning of them flirting that leads to them sleeping together, which leads to Peter in the finale 
reproposes. Right. She says no and then tells Peter to ask her on a date, which she does yes. accept. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like if they knew they were going to get canceled, she just would have said yes. Yes. Uh, you can tell the show, unlike some of the other ones we've seen, this show did not know it was getting canceled. Yeah. Because uh, the filming on this show wrapped in January. The show did not debut until March of 2018. So they clearly didn't know they were getting canceled. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to get back to Peter a little bit because now we're going to discuss Aiden. Yes, Aiden is the smooth-talking, never-had-a-job middle brother who is just so handsome. Yeah, he's a sexy screw-up. Yes. Uh, his establishing character moments are that he sells his Adderall to soccer moms and also has sex with soccer moms. Yes. He has sex with a lot of married women, but he's a really good brother to Stella. Yes. Like, he is always there to, like, give advice and things like that. But he's a stoner. Yes. Sort of. Because in one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen on television, Stella and Aiden have a conversation where they pass a joint back and forth to one another and never smoke it. (laughs) Yeah, they pass it and then whoever's not holding it is speaking. So they show the person speaking. I'm certain that's because they're like a TV 14. Yeah, I just thought, like... To a viewing audience, it is two people sitting on lawn chairs, handing a cigarette back and forth to one another, and doing nothing. To me, like, that's just censorship. It's not bad writing the same way a lot of the stuff in this show is bad writing. I know, it's just fun to watch. So, Aiden is a screw-up, and in the first episode, his lady du jour uh, falls pregnant. Yes. And announces it at Stella's cure party. Yeah, how nice. So, and, like, Stella is promptly kind of rude to Marlene. That's, like, another establishing moment with Stella, is that she's very rude to Marlene. Yes. Aiden is trying to skirt responsibility for a couple of episodes, and then agrees to go to, with Marlene to the doctor, sees the ultrasound of his baby, and decides he's going to get his act together, and pr- proceeds to propose to and move in with Marlene. Yes. Until someone looks at the date in the ultrasound, and it is impossible that it's Aiden's baby. Yeah. The whole pregnancy storyline is wrapped up in about four episodes, tops. Yeah. Like, oh, he's going to be a dad and get his act together. No, he's not. And he goes and he lives with his dad in the guest house of the house he sold. Yes. And continues to just be a druggy screw-up who's very handsome. Yeah, Peter lives in the guest house on his own property. Because for some reason the couple that buys it lets the man live there instead of telling him to get an apartment. And uh, when Ida and Poppy break up, Ida moves in with Lizzie and Diego. Yes. So that's kind of like where they're living. And Aiden, despite being this like screw-up, usually has good advice... And really cares about everybody he talks to. Yes. So he tries to get his father laid, which is very nice. Yeah, and he's like a bro about it. Yes. When his father starts briefly dating a woman Aiden has slept with, 
Aiden takes great pains not to tell his father. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to ruin it. Right. Problem is, Aiden does not quite learn a lesson. He tries to go straight and tries to get a job at, uh, not, like, an ironic coffee shop, which is the name of the coffee shop they work for. Is that what it's called? It's called an ironic coffee shop. I think that's the best writing in the show. I would totally go to a coffee shop that's called an ironic coffee shop. Yeah, it's called, like, another ironic coffee shop or something. That is... That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's actually like... And it's never mentioned by name. No. But there's plenty of establishing shots of it. Huh. So, he gets a job there as a barista and then starts selling his Adderall to soccer moms, like, taped under their coffee cups. Right. He is found out because an anonymous tip is called in. He and Stella are arrested. Stella's cleared because witnesses say, like, she had nothing to do with it. So he is, and they find out that, like, it's a Schedule B drug, like, on the same level as cocaine. So he is now uh, charged with a felony that he did. That he did. And on top of that, it's his second strike because he had stolen a four-wheeler. Yes. So he's a prior offender. And this is the other, this, this plotline highlights the other big problem of the show. Complete and total lack of consequences. Right. Before we get into the lack of consequences, I want to talk a little bit more about this episode. Okay. Because this was one of, like, my breaking moments. Okay. Is, he's in jail, and Stella's, like, fighting to get... His her brother out of jail because her brother's always been there for her, and nobody wants to help because he screwed up. He should you know deal with his punishment. Yeah. And Stella's like, you screwed up. You know what? I'm on their side too. Uh, you need to learn. And Aiden goes, Do you think I really wanted to be this guy? This all started back in college. And in college, you see that he works a job at... Like a Kinko's. Like a Kinko's, yeah. A college print shop. Yeah, a college print shop. Uh, And he's just staring into space. And his boss is like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you gotta do better at this and your grades are failing. So he's like, you're messing up the job, you're messing up your grades. And he's like, oh, I'm just really upset about my sister. I feel like I shouldn't be here. I should be there because what if I'm not there when she dies? Um, so my doctor gave me these pills to help me focus. And he takes a pill. And the the boss says, well, maybe you don't need to be working this job. Mm-hmm. You could just sell those. Somewhere List- there's a print manager who needs to be fired. Yeah. List of problems. An authority figure just asked you to be a drug dealer. Yep. He doesn't need a job because his father is a college professor. So it's not like he's paying for college, or he should be paying for college. He is not at the college his father works for. That's dumb. Like, and again, these are things we're never told. I noticed he's wearing a different logo than we see the college. We're on the campus a couple of times. But if we're establishing him, like, 
as a character that he feels like his father never cared for. Like, the fact that his dad never said, like, come to my free college, we don't have any money, is insanity. And fourthly, Aiden's entire character is that he is unhirable because he's never held a job. Right. This is him working at a Kinko's. Yeah. That that one I missed. This entire scene makes the whole show just implode in on itself until it's no longer even a thing. If you're establishing that both kids gave up opportunities to be with Stella, you kind of end up in the situation of, well, why didn't they go to school where their father taught? Mm-hmm. Which would also ostensibly be close enough to be a very easy commute to Stella or yeah. they could still live at home and be around Stella all the time. Yeah, and then Stella says, oh, so this is my fault too. And Aiden says something like, no, it's the cancer's fault. No, no, no. It's your it's fault. It's your Aiden. fault. You became a drug dealer. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have dealt with cancer in their families. Uh, when I was in college, my father had cancer. Uh Guess what I didn't do? Did you become a drug dealer? I did not. Did you lose your job at fake Kinko's? Uh, no, I didn't even lose my job holding down a desk at, in a dorm. Th- there's so many problems with just this scene. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those scenes that negates... The writers clearly didn't have uh, what's called a show bible. Yeah. Like, the writers did not know enough about the characters and are clearly making things up as they go. So they find out who did the anonymous tip. Right. It's Peter. Yes, his own father. Because Peter thought he'd be a first-time offender, and Peter thought they would give him a slap on the wrist and it'd be the wake-up call he needed. Meanwhile, uh, Aiden's actually facing up to three years in jail. And a felony yes. for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. $250,000 fine. Yes. So... What he ends up with, and he gets a judge who's a real hard ass about drugs, and he's already turned down a plea deal. Aiden should be screwed. Yeah. So then, Aiden makes an impassioned speech to the judge, and she gives him a week in jail and community service. Yes, and he has to end home arrest. Yeah, and like a curfew, and that he can't have alcohol. Mm-hmm. So. He gets out in a week. Yep. And then he's like, this is my least favorite trope in the world. I gotta really get my life together. I'm gonna buy a bar. There is nothing stupider to me than I've never had a job in my life. My first job will be owning my own business. Oh, How I Met Your Mother actually does the we should buy a bar thing so perfectly. Because they highlight that it's a stupid thing men in their late 20s and early 30s say. Yeah. When they don't have a direction of like, we should buy a bar. Because it's like, it seems like a dream job from the outside. Yeah. And like, Aiden is an idiot. Like we established, like he actually says something like, I thought we'd be fine if we had a big opening. As if like one day of being open is enough to pay off the loan. To pay for everything. But it should be noted, that bar is open for one day. Right. And then it closes to, for, like, repairs and stuff. But they do have a real-world consequence of 
they are desperate for money because there's repairs. Right. Um, so he wants to buy a bar. So he weasels Wes into buying this bar with him. Again, this whole crazy codependent family. Uh, Wes and Stella are experiencing relationship issues by this point in the show. But Wes buys a bar with her brother who's established as an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and Aiden does get his act together slightly because of a woman he meets doing community service. Who is promptly written off the show and sent to uh, the Peace Corps. Yeah. Like, she's promptly gone. She, she would have come back in season two after he'd found someone else he liked. He'd be like, surprise him back. Yeah, probably. They would have brought... I'm sure Gina would have come back later, too. Mm -hmm. So then, he and Wes experience a ton of financial issues getting the bar off the ground. And they have to deal with an investor they might not want to deal with. And then at the end, everything's roses because Finley, the manager of the bar... uh, The manager of the coffee shop who has hired Stella, and then even hired Aiden and watched him sell drugs... At the coffee shop she managed, she becomes a partner in the bar. Yeah, that seems like a great investment. Yeah, like, you get the idea that they try to sell it off that she's, like, a trust fund baby. Yeah. And that she's just using the money because she wants to own a bar. Yeah, she turned 21 and now she has access to cash. Yeah. Yeah, her deuce ex machina died and now... Well, it sounds like her grandmother was long dead, but she had just turned 21. Yeah. And to be fair, that's a... It's it's realistic that a 21-year-old trust fund baby would do something stupid with her money. But we've also established that Finley is a manager at a coffee shop. So Finley, like, knows the value of a dollar and works hard. Yeah. Like, so it's a weird disconnect of a deus ex machina. So that's Aiden's storyline. So finally, we have the love dodecahedron. Yes. Uh, the central love story of Stella and Wes, and then because this is a CW show... We have romantic false leads for both. Mm-hmm. Pippa and Dr. Will. Yes, Dr. Ratface. Yeah, he's not attractive. So when we set up the show, it's our establishing character moment. Is Stella and Wes explaining their love story to a baker? Yes. So our establishing moment is Stella using her cancer to manipulate someone into giving her a free cake. Mm-hmm. Which she admits that's what she is doing. Ah, let me guess. You two need a wedding cake? Actually, we need a funeral cake. I'm dying. Okay, I played the cancer card. But you have to play the hand you're dealt. After all, I am dying. So our establishing moment is that our heroine is a selfish craphead. Mm-hmm. Stella does not improve very much in 13 episodes. What I feel like the show tries to establish is, at the beginning of the show, she had cancer and she's basically been living in a fairy tale. Yeah. She could do no wrong. Everyone around her was focused solely on making her happy because she only had a few months left to live. Right. Now that she's going to be around, no one needs to keep that... Facade. Yeah, facade up anymore. So she now has to deal with reality. Right. And it never feels like it gets there. No. And then we have her husband, Wes, who is a nice guy, 
and really cares about Stella and married her because he loved her. Yes. So this is what we have for the first couple episodes. Stella then, uh, she starts to volunteer at the hospital. Well, it should be mentioned that in the first episode, we see Wes at a spouse of cancer support group. He's at a support group for the spouses of people who are terminal. Yes. And he's explaining, like, I kind of thought she was going to die, and now she's going to stay, and now I feel, I don't know, kind of weird about it. And the people at the support group buy him a pizza as a goodbye gift. Right. And so there's they quickly establish that Wes is in a situation he was not prepared for and is completely alone. And, like, what he says to the support group was, like, I've spent the last six months doing everything to make her happy. And then suddenly she's in this situation where, like, what he was doing was not sustainable in a marriage. Yeah. And maybe that, like, he needs to spend time thinking about what would make him happy. Right. So, we have that. And then, um, Stella, I was going to call her Sadie because that's the character she's about to meet. Stella wants to give back to the community. So she volunteers at the hospital she more or less grew up in as a patient advocate. So, this is a volunteer position. She just kind of shows up and they let her do stuff. And she connects with the, quote, hot oncologist. I have never had it be more of an informed trait that somebody was attractive. Yeah, because he's not. He's a weird-looking man. He's not super attractive, and he's also horrible. Like... He kind of looks like that kind of, like, dirty bad boy kind of look. Okay. But he's a doctor. And again, we have an age thing of Stella's supposed to be 23. For him to be an oncologist, he's got to be at least late 20s. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at he's minimum 28, 29. We never find out how old Wes is, but we know he was working in finance. And we also find out later he had an apartment with another woman for two years. So... We have this, like, this weird dynamic of Stella is connecting with Dr. Will, but Dr. Will is immediately too forward with Stella. Yeah, and I don't understand why he is so attracted to her. Because she says something about, like, I've been married for six months. And he says, I wish I'd met you seven months ago. Yeah. Why? What has she done to be of value to him? To be like, ah, she's an interesting person I want to, like, know more about. All he knows is that she's pretty and she cares about patients. There are so many people! Right. (laughs) Like, there is no reason for him to go after this woman. He fixates on her in a way that's super unhealthy. Yeah. And uh, she also falls in with a young woman named Sadie. Who is... Pretty much Stella, but without the advantages and privileges Stella had. Sadie is a rough character. Because Sadie kind of has elements of the uh, magical person of color Mm -hmm. trope in that she's so wise and all-knowing. 
and also the magical ill child. She's a combo pack of those two tropes. And her job is to constantly be, like, the voice of wisdom to Stella, even though Sadie is established as being in her young teens. Right. So Stella is so stupid and self-absorbed, she dumps all her problems on a 12-year-old with cancer. Yeah. In the first episode. Yeah, isn't that something? I never like Stella. There's times where I think she's less wrong, but I really don't like her much as a character. There was a lot of times during this where you were like, I hate her. And I was like, yeah, you're supposed to, she's going to grow. And then once we got like eight or nine episodes in, I'm like, she forgot to grow. She's still this miserable person. So she and Wes are trying desperately to hold on to their marriage, but they weren't prepared for the ramifications of a real commitment at their age, and they don't know what they want from their lives. Wes kind of had the impression that he was going to move to Oregon for a year and then move back to his life in London. Yeah. Because they meet in Paris, and we find out later that we they meet in Paris... On what was supposed to be Wes's honeymoon, but his fiance left him at the altar. Yes. Pippa. Yes. Pippa's a, another terrible person. Yes. But, like, when you think about the timeline, Pippa really only left Wes at the altar eight months prior. Yeah. So, like, they've been apart for less than a year for him to already be married to someone else for six months. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the planet. So, when Pippa rolls back up, she's kind of, like, surprised Stella's alive. And her establishing character moment is also gross. Because her establishing character moment is essentially, oh, you're alive. Yeah, she kind of shows up expecting her to be dead. Yes. Which is gross. Yeah. So then, like, through the rest of the series, Wes and Stella have the issue of... They both commit various levels of indiscretion with Pippa and Dr. Will. For the most part, these indiscretions are emotional indiscretions. Um, You have the problem of Wes confides in Pippa about his marital issues with Stella. Right. Which is the worst thing he does, in my opinion. Everything else he does, I kind of understand. And, but Stella keeps putting herself in the position... To be around Dr. Will, who is completely inappropriate to her at all times. Yeah, he's actively trying to end their marriage. Yes. To the point where he even says, like, if your relationship was rock solid, nothing I could do could end it. Yeah. It's... He's an ugly person. But then he he forces a kiss on her that she doesn't want, that Wes sees, and it's ultimately, like, the beginning of the end of their marriage. Yeah. We also see other things divide them, which are more interesting. Um, Okay. Wes wants to build furniture. Yeah, don't get used to that plot point. Because unlike... uh, Stella never has a dream. Stella never has anything she's, like, working for. And you and I discuss the show a lot. Because on these 13 episode shows, we have more time to talk about it before the show. And you were like, well, she wasn't used to having dreams. She didn't have the idea that she could have a dream. And then I turned to you and went, what did you want to be when you were 13 years old? And you went, a comedian. Instantly. Right. 
most kids have some kind of dream long before they're 15 years old. And it would have made sense to me for her to not have grown out of that dream. For it to be like a weird pie-in-the-sky dream, like a singer or... You know what I mean? Right. Like one of those dreams that's actually very, very hard to attain, but Stella totally believes she can do it, would have made a more compelling plot point. But we never see Stella with interests. No. We don't, like, she doesn't have a hobby. No. And as you constantly say, she has no friends. She has no friends. She, the only people we ever see her interact with are co-workers and her family. Her she has zero friends. And the one time we see her with someone who went to high school with her, the someone who went to high school with her is horrible. Yeah, it's just like this weird astrophysics. Yeah, and she's like catty to her and she's like, oh, you're still alive and you're a barista. And like, Stella doesn't do anything and I was like, it would have been really easy to shoot this girl down and be like, yeah, you know, I just uh, found out that I didn't have cancer and I just found out I wasn't going to die. So I'm kind of, you know... Taking some time to get my life in order. Yeah. But Stella does not have the presence of mind to say anything like that. No. She just looks like a wounded puppy and looks sadly in middle distance past the camera like, oh. Yes, with her big doll eyes. So she... So Wes builds furniture. But because they don't have any money because Stella rejects financial assistance from her parents because she knows they can't afford it anymore... Um. He has to take a job being a financier in London, which means he's Skype calling at all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. This timeline also didn't add up. Because England, most of the year, is five hours ahead of Eastern time, which means they're eight hours ahead of Oregon. Okay. Which means if he's working nine to five London time, he'd be working 5 p.m., to 3 a.m. They establish that he goes to bed when she's getting up and it's light out. It's true. Again, the writers can't do simple math. No. So he takes this job he hates, starts to confide in Pippa because Pippa's up when he is because she's in London. And Pippa, like, has shown up at their door at one point and then accepts a job in San Francisco. Right. And not everything about Pippa is a little sleazy. Yeah, because she's shown up out of nowhere and is just trying to get back into the life of Wes. Right. Which, the show does a good job of establishing that, like, she doesn't really have a place in his life because uh, she ruined his life. Yeah. She has no right to this man at all. Yeah, like, she left him at the altar. Like, not a week before their wedding. Not... A few months before their wedding. Like, she didn't show up to their wedding. So he goes on the honeymoon without her. Yeah. And that's where he meets Stella. Mm-hmm. And then Stella's, like, gutted to realize that. She, I guess, just thought he was, like, backpacking. Yeah, she thought that it was destiny and that she was her, or he was her prince and everything. This was their fairy tale movie. Right. So, because she constantly refers to her life as a movie. Right. And when, like, as the star slowly starts to get stripped away and she realizes that, like, he was in Paris because he was supposed to be in Paris with Pippa. And he was in the beautiful restaurant he takes her to. 
because he had reservations there with Pippa. Right. And she's upset that, like, oh, he existed before me. Yeah, that he actually had a life. Because there's also the conversation where they talk about sexual partners. Yes. She has had one, him. Yes, and he has had 11. And she's pretends to be okay with it and is not okay with it. She asks if he was a prostitute. Oh, that's right. All right, she's not okay with it. <laughs> so there's also this, like, weird thing of they've only ever had sex the way she wants to have sex, which she calls 500 candle Sarah Borella sex. Okay, I have to ask this question. Yeah. Who is Sarah Borella? Uh, Sarah Bareilles is a singer-songwriter who I quite like. To contextualize where you know her from, you know that scene in Community when they talk about how you could make a, mon- a romantic montage with any two characters? Is, yeah, if you play this music and stuff? Yes. The song Gravity is by Sarah Bareilles that plays over that. Okay. Because for the longest time, I thought they were having candle citronella sex and i was like the candles that keep bugs away why it smells terrible that's not what you want to have sex near they're also playing sarah borellis the first time she uses that sentence but like i don't know that (laughs) yeah you've heard a lot of her music uh love song brave you've heard a lot of her music okay king of anything um oh okay the song you would hear a lot around our house is she composed the musical Waitress. Okay. So okay. she did. She used to be mine. All right. So, but they've only had that kind of, you know, romantic comedy, candy-colored, mm-hmm. like... Sex like it could be the last time. Yeah, very romantic, probably very um, lengthy sex. Mm-hmm. Because he mentions wanting to do quickies, and she is horrified. Yeah. And he's like, you know, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. And she's like, am I the ma'am in this equation? And, like, I liked that bit. Because if you've only ever had sex one way, I could see it being like, what? Right. And then they have a quickie at the end of the first episode. And it's actually, like, a nice establishing character thing for their relationship. She grows in that moment. She's like, oh, I can enjoy this thing he likes, too. Yeah. They also have the issue of... She mistakenly believes she's pregnant. Yes. And they're super excited. And then it turns out to have been a false positive. Right. And she turns out to um, have fertility issues caused by her uh, cancer treatments that her doctor says, like, if you want kids without medical intervention, your best bet would be to start trying now. And she gets cold feet. Right. And they kind of have the conversation that they never thought they'd have to be on the same page about kids. Because Wes... It was sort of assumed that Wes would marry someone else and have kids. Mm -hmm. It should be noted, though, that they have this discussion in the first episode where they talk about kids. And they're like, oh, we never had to talk about this. Do you want kids? And she says, yeah. So they have this, like, talk that they forget about. Right. Well, she's also really excited when she's first pregnant. Yes. So, like, she might not have forgotten that conversation, but when it's suddenly real and imminent, it might not feel the same way. Because she's 23. I'm sure there's people at 23 
who would be like, yeah, I want kids someday, but they definitely don't want to be pregnant two weeks from then. Yeah, okay. So, like, I think that's the idea more behind it is I don't necessarily know that she ruled out kids ever, but she didn't want kids at that exact moment. So they also have the issue of, like, the constant trust issues because Stella does everything she can to put herself in bad positions with Dr. Grant. Like, she accompanies him on an overnight road trip. Like, stuff that, like, clearly would ring up alarm bells in, uh, in most people. Right. Like, I, I can't imagine if there was someone who had already made a comment about wishing they'd met me before our marriage. I cannot imagine you would be like, yeah, no, go on an overnight trip with that person. That's cool. Yeah, I think the what we're supposed to feel as an audience is the reason that she's going on this trip is so Sadie, the little girl with cancer, can apply for a trial. Yes. So I think what's supposed to be established is we as the audience understand that it is important to save this little girl's life. Yeah. And that is more important than... And, like, so she's going to suffer through what is a clearly awkward conversation to save this little girl. Right. I don't know if it works. It doesn't quite work because, like, Stella never really tries that hard not to be around Dr. Will. No. Like, they say, like... We're going to keep things strictly professional. We're not going to have fun on this trip. And then Call Me Maybe starts, and that literally lasts a minute and a half. Yeah, real quick, let's talk about this scene. Because it's a scene where Call Me Maybe comes on, and they're both like, I hate this song, so overplayed. You can change it. I mean, it's your poison if you want to leave it on. And then it shows the car driving by, and then they're all singing Call Me Maybe. This is almost shot for shot a scene from Tommy Boy. Yeah. Where it's Chris Farley and David Spade in a car fighting over the radio stations. Hey, good tune, man. I don't think so. Yeah, here we go. This song sucks. Talk about lame. <laughs> totally. You can change it if you want. I don't care. It's up to you. I can live with it if you can. Suit yourself. Yeah. It is the exact same scene. It, yeah, it, it sounds exactly the same. But yeah, it's this, like, establishing... They never... She, like, constantly is around him or tries to help him when she really should be keeping her distance. Uh, she and Wiz are already having marital problems and they're in counseling. And yet, she takes time out of her day to, like, call Will and check in on him. Yeah. And, like... He's going through a tough time or something. And again, where are his friends? Why don't any of these people have any friends? He has a band. Yeah, like... (laughs) You'd think one of those people would be nice to him. And he's established that he's friends with Dr. Cheng. Yes. Her oncologist. 
So it's this very weird, like... And again, I'd like to point this out. They establish that every woman in the hospital wants to bang him. Yeah. Because he's the hot doctor. There is no reason for him to want to bang Stella. I mean, I guess the idea is he wants her because she's the unattainable. Yeah, I guess. Because I knew... um, I, I went to school with someone who loved to call her because she had a boyfriend and people were attracted to her. She loved to parade around and call herself Forbidden Fruit. Okay. And, like, that idea of, like, she's the only one in the hospital he can't have, like, that. Mm. Okay. But if he had a friend who he could talk to so that we could, like, kind of get to know him better... But he's crazy forward. Like he writes, "I love her in the fog of I love you on the fog of her car." He forces a kiss on her. He tries to get her to run away to Papua New Guinea with him for Doctors Without Borders. Very strange. Like he's crazy forward with her, and also really disrespectful of her marriage and her wants. Absolutely. Like I hate this character as much as I hate Pippa. Yes. Who also. Is trying to force her way into a love interest's life. She tries to pitch in money for the bar. Yes. And. This is the bar that Aiden and Wes open. Yeah. So she tries to be an investor in the bar. Because she's trying to get her way back into Wes's life. And make him beholden to her somehow. And they consider taking the money. And then on the same night that the bar opens. Uh. Dr. Grant kisses Stella, or Dr. Will kisses Stella, and Wes sees it, and then in retaliation kisses Pippa. Right. Which is gross, but it's just this very weird dynamic of, like, they're clear romantic false leads, and they're irritating. Like, I think we were supposed to be invested in the idea that Stella could be with Dr. Will, but I found him to be such a bad person that I was not invested in the love triangle. I wanted, I just wanted him to go away. Yeah, it's just, there's never a time where you feel like the Doctor or Pippa makes sense for the other character. Right. So there's never a time where you're like, ooh, she's in a, between a rock and a hard place. Like, ooh, which one? There's never a, an Edward Jacob moment. Right. It's just like, no, this person's gross. Yeah. Stop. But like at the same time, they don't establish enough that make you really want to cheer for Stella and Wes. They do a little bit. I I was at least a little bit invested in Stella and Wes. Um, he does a lot to, like, he is very much a romantic hero in a show aimed at women, in that he is very devoted to her, and he does everything he can to make her happy, and even when, like, things are going badly, it's because he's trying to make her happy. Yeah, and I I can totally, I'm, I can totally believe that Wes loves Stella. Yeah. I they never establish enough that Stella loves Wes. Because, and this is something that I was told years ago in a philosophy course. 
The most important thing you could ever tell your partner is that they're useless. Because if the person you are dating or the person that you are married to is there to serve a function, that's a that's not a strong relationship. If you're just there because you just really want to be with them, that's a real strong relationship. Wes is always a function for Stella. Yeah. she's deal. He's dealing with her emotional problems. He's making her life better. He's... Financing her life. Financing... He's bailing her brother out of prison. Right. Like, there's never a moment where it looks like Stella does something for Wes because she likes him. She makes him dinner that one time. Yeah... But in 13 what, episodes... It's, what time are you thinking where that she makes him dinner? She makes him the dinner he likes. When oh. they're having... It's in the second episode when they're trying to figure out his favorite. Right. When they have the immigration interview. She makes him the dinner he likes to prove that she can learn about him. Yes. Like, there's never a, hey, here's a nice thing. Or like, you know, oh, don't forget a coat. Or anything like that. Everything she does for him is to serve a purpose of proving something. Yeah. Like, she does, she sells a ring and gets her a ni- him a nice present. She sells a ring he maxed out his credit card for. Yeah. To get him something. But that is just a gesture to show, like, she's willing to work on things. That doesn't show that she, like, let's put it this way. If Wes was hiring her for a job. Mm-hmm. She's doing a great job trying to get hired. Yes. But, like, nothing that's like, we should form a friendship. Yeah. Um, my theory on this, because I've been thinking about this show a lot, is that Stella loves Wes in a way of a young teenager who doesn't know anything about real relationships. Right. Which is what she is. Because she's 23, and, like, 23 is not too young to be in an endgame adult relationship. I am going to say that because I met you on my 23rd birthday. Yes. Because I am a Disney princess. Um, But she loves someone like, someone who is only experienced with relationships was watching romantic comedies. Yeah, I mean, she keeps saying, this is a line that I can't believe we didn't bring up until now. She keeps saying, you know, this is my cancer movie, this is a cancer movie. When they argue about Pippa, yes, she he says, You need to understand my heart was broken. And she says, You don't get to do that. This is my cancer movie. Could you imagine having an argument with someone where when you make a point about your point of view and how you live your life, their response is, no, I'm the protagonist. Especially because he is laying bare the biggest trauma of his life. Yeah. And she, her response is, you don't get a voice. It's all about Mama Bear. Yeah. like, And, and she's like this through the whole series. Everything comes down to how she is affected. And... To me, that's a very youthful, immature kind of love of she is in love with love. That's why she marries Wes in the first place. Right. And she is in love with that infatuation idea. Like, you've got to figure, they're married for six months. 
they should still be in the honeymoon dating period. Yeah. For the first, like, year or two, you're still in the, like, head-over-heels honeymoon phase of a new relationship. And they're having trouble six months into their marriage. Six months into their relationship. Yeah. That's a real good point. So, but then he's also uprooted his entire life for her. He has devoted his entire life to her. And what happens when that's no longer tenable? And he starts having wants and needs and things he wants and, like, and things that are his objectives that don't need to be backburnered anymore. Because it's one thing to backburner your hopes, dreams, and wants for a year with a sick partner, but it's another thing to backburner them forever when you have a healthy partner who's just not supportive. Right. So they ultimately, in the last episode, choose to break up. Yeah. Things that are not addressed. In the second episode, immigration visits them. Okay. And they have to prove their marriage is real to INS. Mm-hmm. They break up in what seems to be about less than two months later. Well, I mean, at that time, they thought their marriage was real. The, this whole season is a journey of finding out that they should split up. Is he going to get deported? I don't think so because he owns a business there now. Yeah, I guess. Um, he also gives up a dream job in San Francisco for her. Yep. A job that probably would have sponsored his uh, immigration. Probably. So that's like, he gives up a lot for her and she gives up almost nothing. Yeah. He actually says, like, name a sacrifice you made for me. And she says, I buy 1% milk. Yeah. That, that's a real thing that happens. So she is horrifically self-centered. And they ultimately decide to break up. So now we're going to get into the black box of this show. This was the lowest rated show of the 2018 season. Oh, really? Lowest rated. Um, it was a mid-season replacement that started airing in March. It was done by June. And had a time slot change. It actually had a primo time slot in March, right after Riverdale. Yeah, that seems like Which good is spot. a good time slot for the CW. Yeah. And they moved it to Fridays because it wasn't performing well. Friday night death slot. Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, season two Riverdale was like nothing to write home about. But they couldn't even keep the viewers from that time slot. Right. Who were like teenagers who are likely to just have left the TV on. Yeah. So people actively were like, ah, oh, not this. Yeah, not not this at all. And I think one of the big problems is in the first couple of episodes, Stella is so crazy unlikable. And you haven't fallen in love with any of the other characters yet. Because admittedly, I enjoyed Diego. I enjoyed Lizzie. To an extent, I enjoyed Aiden as a character. Like, he's not a great person, but he's a great side character. Right. He's a lot like Andy Dwyer in Parks and Rec in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And that's a good side character. Yeah. Um, I was like a little bit invested in Peter and a little bit invested in Ida, but not the two of them together. But we didn't... The first couple episodes did not invest you in any of these people very well. No. And they made her look horrible. I mean, I said this many times as we're watching this. Because I was enjoying watching it, but I watched it as if it was a reality show. Uh Uh-huh. All these people are terrible, and horrible things keep happening to them. 
Okay. That is, that's the enjoyment I got out of this show. And like, I definitely get that. I, I like to root for somebody in a show. And it's hard when the protagonist is, it's hard when we're clearly supposed to like the protagonist. And we don't. Yeah. She, like, we're, the whole point is we're, we're seeing her grow out of, like, she's learning about reality. It's Boy Meets World. Yeah. She, but, like, all at once is the idea. But they just don't pull that off. Like, we never see her have to suffer consequences, ever. No. Like, we, we totally miss this. She doesn't have a high school diploma. Correct. So, she's like... I'm going to get my GED. And she studies real hard. She goes to take the test. She does not fail. She just can't take it. She freezes and leaves. So she gets up and walks out. And then her dad's like, I pulled some strings. I got you this high school diploma. It's like, okay, you actively did not learn anything. Like, you literally did not learn any facts to pass a test. You did not learn anything in this episode. Like, where's the growth? It's just, it. we went back to, these people will create the world that I want no matter what. Yeah. And the family's so ridiculously codependent. Like, they, they can't move on from this. Like, Peter and Ida can't move on. Right. Because Peter will drop everything the minute anybody in his family says boo. Yes. So, like, this... They're kind of like a gross codependent group of people. And, like, you end up feeling really sorry for, like, Diego, whose mother-in-law moves in and rearranges their house. And Wes, who ends up so enmeshed in the family that he, like, buys a bar with her loser brother. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest problems with this show is that the first couple episodes, Stella is really unlikable and we're supposed to like her. She's the worst part of Veronica from Riverdale. Yeah. She talks in a very similar cadence. But there's no grounding influence, especially in the first few episodes. And there are never consequences when someone is crappy. No, never. So, what's your verdict? Uh, There wasn't much research for this guy? Honestly, this show fizzled out. This isn't a legend. There's no oral history. The show just didn't find an audience. Makes sense. The reviews were terrible. The ratings were bad. I honestly think this is the best show for Stay Doomed. This is not the best show we watched, but this was a show that we turned on. I was decently entertained the whole time, and the whole time I was like, no wonder this got canceled. Yeah. So this is 100% a Stay Doomed. Because, like, the the question I want to ask you is, let's say that this gets its full six-year run. Mm-hmm. Where does this show go? So the creator uh, did answer this question. Stella was always supposed to go back to Wes. Okay. In the end. It was, his plan was that they drifted apart. Uh, they stayed friends, which they have to because he's enmeshed with her family. She can't grow apart without him because he's never going to go away. Right. And then, like, at 30, they rediscover each other and get married again. 
Yeah. And, like, I can see that. Yeah. But my issue, this has what I am now dubbing the two guys a girl in a pizza place problem. Okay. Two Guys, A Girl, in a Pizza Place was a great show. I really liked that show a lot. It's got Ryan Reynolds in it. It's, yeah. It can't be bad. And Nathan Fillion. And Nathan Fillion. Yeah, that show is great. And it's about two guys and a girl that work at a pizza place. Now, Berg, or Ryan Reynolds' character, is actually in med school. And the show does so well that he becomes a doctor. So it gets to a point where it no longer makes sense that they're at a pizza place. So they change the title to Two Guys and a Girl? So it just becomes Two Guys and a Girl. This show is called Life Sentence. It is the repercussions of what happens when a girl thinks that she's going to die from cancer, and then she doesn't. By the end of the first season, like, a few months have gone by, and she's now kind of engrossed in the real world. Like, the next season was she was going to find herself, and I guess you could still kind of tie it to, like, she lost eight years, she's never been on her own, so now she's grabbing that back. By the end of that season, all ties to cancer should be over. Right. So, season three, she has to relapse, or someone else has to get cancer, or the show doesn't make sense as the main premise. Yeah. And... Like, the worst thing is the idea... You see her holding, like, mountain climbing pamphlets. And I was like, man, she's going to do a lot of interesting stuff that we will see in a five-minute montage in the beginning of season two. Yeah, with all her no money. Because the next thing we're going to see... I mean, isn't that what go... This would be what a GoFundMe would be for, I would think. Um, okay. I, like, I'm surprised she never starts to GoFundMe. Yeah. Because that fits her character really well. Yeah, it does. So... I'm going to say a weird thing. Oh, boy. I wish it had gotten a 22-episode season one. Like, I wish it had been, instead of being a mid-season replacement, I wish it had had a back nine. Because I think if they had had the time to end the first season as an ending... I think this would be a really solid miniseries. I completely disagree. I don't know what you can point to in this show that was solid. I mean, some of the characters were... The acting is very good. Yeah. Like, I did like some of the characters. But I think you could have made this a decent teenage-aimed miniseries if you'd done either better pacing or... A lot of shows... It's very weird that Life Sentence wasn't written this way, to be honest with you. A lot of shows write their season one with the idea that it could be not picked up. A famous example is Glee. Yeah. Uh, Glee wrote its first 13 episodes to be a miniseries. Just in case. Yeah. The first 13 episodes of Glee are a very satisfying miniseries. The first 12 episodes of Riverdale were written to be... A single series, and then they rewrote the crap out of the 13th episode when they got picked up. Okay. So only the last episode was written with awareness that they were going to get another show. Hmm. So instead of wrapping up... Like, I've seen the deleted scenes and what they reshot. Right. Um, they set up season two in the last episode. Right, right. Instead of wrapping up the loose ends. But the original deleted scenes are like, 
oh, well, you know, Jughead's dad's in jail, so Jughead starts to live with the Coopers, or lives with the Andrews. Um, so they, a lot of shows do write their first 13 as a miniseries so that they can go live on Netflix in case they don't get picked up. Yeah. My thought of this is, I, I don't think if you gave them another eight episodes that they would be able to fix this train wreck. Fair enough. Because I feel like when we watched it every episode, it was going to be, it featured me turning to you and saying, here's the stupid plot. Yeah. It was me turning to you going, that that girl, Pippa, mm-hmm. she's going to fly from England and show up. Yeah. And then there she is. It's like, her Aiden's dad, he's the one that got him arrested. Look, that's what happened. I guess someone was going to get sick right before the end of the se- the season. Yeah, so like everything that happened, I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's going to be this. They're going to dig a hole in the backyard and find a dead cat. There it is. Like, like the fact that me saying the stupidest thing I could think of correctly predicted the plot points of this show says a lot about it. It's true. So, it's a stay doomed otherwise for me because it's not written well enough to move on. So, that's it for Life Sentence. Yes. Our next show to continue Requests Month is by a friend of the show, Jeff Stormer. Hi, Jeff. Uh, And we will be doing Wrestling Society X. Yeah, wrestling episode. What's up? Yeah, Wrestling Society X ran on MTV. And uh, it appears to be all on YouTube. Yeah, so watch it. It's real short. And loud. Yes. And weird. Where can people find us, Laura? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And what if people want to see us live? You can see us live. Uh, I almost said January. You can see us live June 15th and 16th at Wizard World Philadelphia in... What? Philadelphia. Uh, you will be able to see us June 22nd and 23rd at the Too Many Games Expo in Oaks, PA. And do we have any other ones that we can announce? Um, well, uh, I don't know our schedule, but we'll be at Dex. So we'll be at uh, DexCon the 4th of July weekend in Morristown, New Jersey. Yeah! Yeah! Come see us! Yeah. Board games! Yeah! Yeah! If you want to talk to me about how just this show's bad. Don't if you want to talk to me about something else other than this show. I'm at TV's Noah. If you only like the first 13 episodes of Riverdale, I'm at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed. <laughs>